Hello and welcome to today's episode of Platinum Talks Wealth. Emmy-nominated journalist Jennifer Rogers Markwell changed gears in her television career when she realized the need to help women make sense of investing. She regularly hosts educational workshops to empower women and others to take charge of their financial future. Now, join your host, Platinum Wealth Management President Jennifer Rogers Markwell as she leads us into the world of money memories, money infidelities, and how these can mold our relationships relationship with our personal finances as adults. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, and thanks so much for joining us on this edition of the Platinum Talks Wealth podcast. I'm Jennifer Rogers Markwell, and today we're joined by Julie Castro Abrams. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Oh, it's an honor. I'm so excited to dive in. Well, thank you. Thank you. And so tell us who you are and why you do what you do. Uh, Well, um, I lead uh, a network of top executive women, 20,000 women. uh, And we really look at sort of what are the areas where we are not, where we're hitting a glass ceiling or we're not equally represented. And then um, we tackle those those issues. And so we'll tackle it uh, at the policy level. We'll do movement building, like start conversations and make sure we change hearts and minds. We'll do research and educate women. And then we literally get into action on that item, like getting women on corporate boards. We literally place women on corporate boards. Um, so, so you know, you think about the fact that only 10% of public company board members were women 10 years ago. Now it's 34%. Like we were part of that change-making process by working in all these areas. That's huge. I mean, we're not where we need to be by any means yet, but just the momentum from that 10% upwards, that's huge. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, And the next bastion really of inequity that relates to boards too is only 2% of all venture capital funding goes to companies founded by women. So one, that's horrible. Um, But once you start to think about it, it's like, well, who's making the decisions? Oh, wait, there's not enough women making decisions in venture capital. Well, then who's their boss or who's their investor? Well, we need more women investing in venture. So if you kind of back up, you think, well, we can do it ourselves. Um, uh, so, so my whole thing is inspiring women to have a conversation and really understand, you know, what are the opportunities? What are you leaving on the table for your power, your influence and your wealth? Uh, yeah, I want, I want women to run the world. That's all, Jen, like no big, you know. <laughs> My bar is not that high. <laughs> That's all. It'll happen. I have no doubt, right? How, how did you get on this path? I mean, obviously, you've done tremendous things and you've made so much momentum happen. But where did this start and how did you get on this path? Well, you know, well, I don't know how far you want to go back, Jennifer, but like, you know, <laughs> I I grew up in an era. It was very interesting. Um, my mom's uh, friends and my kids, you know, my friend's parents, um, a bunch of these guys left their moms um, uh, in for the 25-year-old. And these kids and their moms were destitute because the they didn't have to pay 50%. You know, this was before the 50-50 laws came into play. So I watched all these people who had had, you know, the middle-class life. All of a sudden, I was it was so extreme to watch what happened. I was like, that will never be me. I, you know, so we all talk about those early stories that really affected you. Well, that certainly was one. But 
Um, but also, you know, it was a benefit of Title IX, which is equal investment in women's, uh, girls and boys, women's and men's sports. Um, and I really felt a, a sort of a sense of like, oh, oh, everything's changing. Women can do anything. So you combine those two. So I just started my life thinking like, wait, you know, this doesn't make any sense and we got to fix it. Like that, it just felt like I was, I grew up in an era where people were fixing the inequities. And, um, and so that really has become part of my mantra. I ran a microfinance organization that invested in um, women founded companies. We did loans uh, as well as help them grow. And I really saw like the transformational impact, especially on low income women of starting to uh, be, you know, if you, it's one, think about this somebody who's been in a domestic violence experience, right? A survivor. But her friends and the people around her think of her as a domestic violence survivor. But all of a sudden, she starts her own company, even if it's small, but she's the CEO of her own company. All of a sudden, that changes how everyone around her reacts. It changes her own perspective on what's possible. So I always think, too, about like how do you help people reset their thinking about who they are in the world? Um, and a strengths-based approach to transformation is, is kind of what I think of. So you think about all these women executives that we all know, you know, they grew up in a very male-dominated environment and it's time for them to sort of step into a new sense of like who they are in the world and take off that old hat. Let's, let's create a new one. I love that changing the narrative. I love that so much. So I would love to hear um, from you sort of what do you, what do you think is the most critical for, you know, for women in their own, you talk about, you know, wealth and, and finances all the time. So I don't know what you think are sort of the big holes um, uh, in this space, but, um, but that's my priority is every woman to understand the potential um, and what's, and, and really have a pathway. I love that. I, I feel like that resonates so much with me because I feel like we're in a position now where we've, you know, my own self too included, pulled myself up from the bootstraps, moved forward, really tried to educate myself and empower myself of like, what is this world of finance? What is this foreign language that a lot of people don't know? And unless your feet are in it, you're like, oh, I have no idea. And it can be overwhelming and truly like anything, quite frankly. But to really, you know, take the opportunity to lean into financial literacy and lift others as we're being lifted. I think it's such a beautiful approach. And I think, I mean, for you, so inspiring hearing what you've done and what you're doing now to really, again, continuously like this chain of women lifting each other as they're being lifted is what I visualize. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is like, think about this. We all, um, everybody has some kind of money invested, even if it's a small amount in your retirement at work, right? You know, it, at least people my age have to have something, right? But most of us are trusting that whoever is responsible for making decisions about where their money is invested, et cetera, has that they know what they're doing. And we kind of assume there might be some values alignment, but this is the big wake up call for me. Um, so, you know, I was, I started to sort of look under the hood a bit and realize like, wait, I better take control of this. Um, it's not that scary. Um, and that was one of those moments of discernment for me. Now that happened in my late forties. I think a lot of us are really so busy raising a family and running up the ladder in our 20s, 30s, and early 40s. It's, you know, give yourself a little grace. Um, but if you have 
a little time and can look into it. We know, we did a big research project last year to look at the investing behavior of women. Women are values-based investors. They want to invest in things that they care about, like, you know, addressing issues that they've been impacted on uh, personally, like, let's say, uh, some something related to some health uh, care solutions. Um, so how do we actually start to align our values with our investing um, and, and really make sure we assert what's important to us in that process? The thing that's very interesting is I grew up in this environment where they told us, and you probably heard this, women are risk-averse investors. Which is quite the opposite, ironically. Right. Isn't that interesting? Once you look into it, it's like, no, women are more risk aware. Mm -hmm. And one great example, uh, we were just talking about the stock market, women are more likely to invest in a mutual fund. Men are more likely to invest in individual stocks. It doesn't mean it's without risk, um, but it's not. Risk adverse, I think, is is a good kind of conversation where it's not the risk tolerance per se. It's just yeah. the really thoughtfulness that goes behind the strategy, I think, is is really, truly what it is. Um, and there's so many interesting behavioral, you know, studies on that, too. Then it's interesting because you'll hear people and they're like, oh, I did this, this and this. But that's good. But what yeah. about the bad things that you did? I, I've used that analogy before, so I don't disagree with you. Interesting. So another thing we talk about on this podcast is money memories. So yeah. what's a money memory that you had as a younger person, a child, a teenager, that really kind of helped mold your relationship to money as an adult? You know, it's so interesting because um, I grew up in uh, the 70s and 80s. And in the 70s, inflation was outrageous. And I just remember there's a period of time where my parents bought a new house and they couldn't sell the old house. Uh, because of inflation. And so they were paying two mortgages at the same time. And I remember that was extremely stressful in my family. But then a couple of years later, my dad was buying a Porsche and we have a brand new, uh, you know, we got brand new everything and it felt like we were flush and just, but I never knew what was, I never really understood what was happening, nor ever explained it. So to me, I think this sense of like mystery around it, like, all right, what really should we be doing was was certainly one of the things that I felt like I needed to dig in because I was getting mixed messages. Did my family have money or did they not? Like sometimes I felt like, you know, we could barely afford anything. And other times it felt like, you know, uh, times were flush. And so um, and then watching my mom's contemporaries, literally these guys leaving them and they were destitute. And, you know, I just remember them being like, oh, I wonder if I can get a job as a school secretary. Like that was kind of like, what these are bright women right but they left everything on the table and so I just remember thinking that will never be me I will never be that vulnerable um I have to make my own money uh uh and and so so I think I was in a unique position just because of my life experiences where it's like I'm gonna figure this out early on um I always invested the maximum I could invest in my retirement, even though I ran nonprofits and wasn't making very much money. Um, uh, but but I, I just knew I had to protect my future. Good for you. That's so empowering too, right? Especially coming oh, from like what's happening behind the curtain to I got to figure this out and learn it and I need to protect yeah. myself. Yeah. And, you know, working with my children so they really early Real. on understand, you know, how do you negotiate? Um, how much should you be saving? How much cash should you have available for an emergency? Um, one of them really gets it and does kind of over indexes on it. And my other child spends a little more than I might think would be comfortable with. So 
same message, two different people. Um, but, uh, but, but, but we have a lot of conversations about money in our house and I, you know, it's, you know, I'm open to talking about money. I'll talk about sex. Like, you know, all those things that were like hush hush in my Catholic family in Iowa. Um, you know, we, we talk about it all. Yeah. It's transparency is really important. It's not as taboo as it used to be, right? You wouldn't talk about what religion, politics or money. And now it's like, yes, let's talk about that all day long. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So another thing we touched on too, which you you talked about a little bit of seeing um, financial infidelities, right? Of seeing couples kind of break up, the husband's getting, you know, a wife who's 30 years younger potentially. And then those wives are trying to scramble and figure it out to take care of themselves and their kids. What are a financial infidelity or infidelities that you've either experienced yourself or witnessed that you think other people could learn from? Well, I'm married to an immigrant, actually. And that, to me, makes it so obvious how predatory that, you know, people are out there. And um, and I'm probably too jaded uh, at this point. But um, really, you know, coming to a point where I was like said, had to say to my husband, it's like, honey, you don't you can't talk about our mortgage or anything related to money um, without having with anyone who calls us on the phone unless you talk to me first, because it felt like he he's so sweet. He could get sucked in at least he'd be on the phone forever with someone. I'm like, hang up the phone like these predatory people. And it happens to immigrants. It happens to older people. And it certainly happens to women. And so I just think that, you know, by looking into your finances and building a little bit of uh, knowledge and confidence around it, you won't get taken for a ride in the same way. Um, So, uh, you know, I have there's a a friend of mine um, and she was like, oh, can you help me with my Comcast bill? She's a single woman. Right. Um, and her compass bill was $250. I was like, that makes no sense for my family of four with the highest speed internet possible. You know, my, my, uh, my bill was like, you know, $110 with full cable. And so I was like, let me help you figure this out. And sure enough, now our bill is $75. So, you know, we, it happens, it happens all the time. Um, and think about what a difference it is for somebody in their late sixties to spend seventy five dollars to two hundred fifty dollars on their on their their Comcast bill, frankly, um, and so um, you know, looking under the hood and just standing in your power and being like, I I get to choose, and I'm not going to be bullied by this person on the other line of this phone. It's always on the phone now, um, you know. And I certainly experienced that trying to buy a car. You know, I don't know if they still do this, but you know that whole thing where that like I remember when I had to take out a, a you know car loan. You know, and they would sit you in this room and they'd make you wait forever. And, you know, and now I know it was all like a ploy to get you to take out a high interest loan and agree to these extra things that they tack on that you got to have. And it's like, oh, my God, like, you know, people really taking advantage of other people. It's just heartbreaking to me. So I want to beat them all up or protect all the people, at least. Yeah, very violent, but I'll protect. I want to protect. (laughs) No, you bring up such a valid point with the whole smoke and mirrors and finance, right? It's transparency, I think, is just uberly important yeah. in every yeah. aspect. And knowing what's under the hood, to use your terminology, that's yeah. so incredibly important. Because yeah. again, if you don't know, you don't know. And yeah. you can't do business. Like I think back to my grandparents, right? Doing business on a handshake is 
not not the way you can kind of navigate things these days, right? It's good to have your your trusted folks in your corner, right? Who you're working with, who you know you trust and who you know what their background is. But that can't be, unfortunately, the way of the world with every interaction you have. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I just, um, uh, you know, to me, how can you also leverage the, you know, money that you have to have more power, more access? Um, uh, it can it can really be transformational. So I think there's nothing more empowering um, than starting to really own the financial decisions and understand. Um, and it's also really protective and important. Um, the other thing I'll just point out, we've all seen it, but groupthink is so dangerous and it's such a trip. Like Silicon Valley Bay, uh, you know, was um, in just a couple days, it unraveled really. God, I can't remember the guy's name. He basically put on Twitter um, uh, that there was a problem at Silicon Valley Bank and everyone should get their money out or they recommended all their companies take their money out. And it literally was like a run on the bank, which it would actually, in, in hindsight, the bank's still around. It just moved over and somebody else is leading it. it. Didn't change the fundamentals of that bank. And so maybe that's, maybe you somebody could argue that that was, that should have gone that way. We are herd animals in the way we behave. And I just think um, stepping back and saying, am I doing this? Because I've done my own financial analysis. Um, and what's interesting is women are actually, they return more for their investors if you invest in their companies. Um, women CEOs of Fortune 500 companies actually um, help companies make more money. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to be said. We don't believe the data often. And there's, there's a lot to be said about looking at the data and figuring out, like, if the trend is this kind of person, uh, this kind of leader uh, ends up making more money for a company, you might want to believe it. Um, uh, but instead, I think what people do is they, cut, they, they, you, they go to their biases. They go to what their friends are doing. And your friends aren't always the ones making the best decisions. Well, funny that you said that on a couple of different levels, right? Like that's asking like your neighbor who's a plumber for financial advice, which I'm sure they are rock stars being plumbers, but should they be helping you navigate your portfolio? Probably not so much. And and the second thing is, right, I see that a lot from being, you know, president and CEO of, of Platinum Wealth, right? How we navigate and how we communicate is so much different than a male counterpart. And yes. we hear that a lot. And we hear a lot of people that want to work with us because we're a female, you know, woman run, woman led as well, just because we do business in a different manner. Um, so it, it attracts folks for that reason alone. So I, I'm assuming that trickle down is everywhere across the board for women and, you know, lovely seats. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and I, you know, culture set in the first 30 people. So think about this. Um, my daughter works at Uber. She started at Uber uh, when the original founder was, was CEO and running the company. Um, he was ousted. The attorney general came in and did a, an analysis um, and reset the pay so women and people of color were paid equitably. Um, she got an almost 40% increase in her salary. Jennifer, she was 23 years old. How could she have ever negotiated 40? She did negotiate and got paid almost 10% more than she was offered. Think about that. How could my 23-year-old know how to negotiate in that way? So this, you know, transparency around compensation, making, you know, she also was being recruited for something recently, and they said it was between $85,000 and $280,000 as a salary range. That's dumb. That makes no sense. 
you know, so like, I just, I also think, you know, those are infidelities. If you ask me starting out 40% less than the boys. And then she's been there now for seven years. Think about the cumulative impact on her finances. When, you know, you're the top performer and you only get a certain percent raise. Um, what, what actually, what actually would have ever got her to an opportunity to catch up to the boys, even if she's the very number one performer. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, good for her that she got that, but that should have been out the gate, right? No kidding, Jeffrey, I'm looking at your face and you look either mad or like you want to throw up. Maybe both. <laughs> You're Maybe just both. Thin. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's so frustrating, right? Really. I mean, we're better than we were, but we're not where we need yeah. to be. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so as we kind of wrap things up, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Uh, oh. One thing we like to ask is, how do you utilize money in your household? What does that look like? Do you shop in a certain way? Do you spend in a certain way? What are tips or tricks that you use to utilize money in your household that you think others could learn from? Yeah. Well, really, we cook at home. Uh, going out to, you know, I, I'm 55 years old. My kids are gone. Like, we easily could go out to dinner every night. Um, uh, and, you know, I in concept to have the financial capacity to do that. But um, if you add it all up, it's really expensive. Um, so, you know, I go and get um, bulk chicken breasts and um, I, I'm really uh, snobby about uh, seafood. So I'll, I'll get the expensive seafood, but I cook it at home. Um, and frankly, it's better for your health and it's better for your waistline um, to do that. So uh, simple recipes. I love to grill. We got a great gas grill uh, or propane gill grill and um and just like throw the chicken breasts on the grill put a little salad with some lemon and some avocado done and saved myself you know 50 bucks that we would have paid going out to dinner so that's a super simple one and i think the other thing is looking under the hood and diversifying so um uh you know make sure that you are maximizing that and then definitely i look back in my younger life and i felt like i had to but um i you know i had car notes and I had credit cards and I had a mortgage and you add up all the interest we were, I was paying and it's stunning now to look back. So now, um, you know, we really have no debt. Um, uh, and I pay stuff off immediately because I can, um, uh, cause I'm older. Um, but use credit really wisely. There is no reason to like the car I drive is a Mazda. It was $19,000. Um, I, you know, I could buy a Tesla or something else really expensive, but that depreciates really fast. My Mazda is great. It drives fast and it's perfect. And I've had it since 2016. So, and it's clean. It's great. No nicks, you know, I maintain it. So I just, I mean, we all know these basic things, but it's super easy to get sucked into the gloss and it's generally not, it feels great day one. And then after a couple of days, um, the, the, the car note or, or the cost of whatever it is, is too much. Even my mortgage, like I decided at a certain point, I was like, I cannot be like in 2009, when everything was terrible, I was like, I am not going to over leverage myself in terms of my housing. Um, because it's just the stress of it ruins your, it just messes up your life, messes up your marriage, messes up your t attention and ability to focus on your kids you know, it has a big impact. Um, and when you don't have enough resources to see ahead a little bit, you make very different decisions. I knew it and I still did it because I felt like I didn't have a choice, but I look back and I'm like, I could have made some different choices. Um, so. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing. I totally appreciate it. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. I really appreciate that you do this. And I hope everybody find, you know, at least make a list of all the things I talked about and which of those things could you tackle now? Others you can do later, but just think about some small little things that you can do today. Just look under the hood. Yeah. Ask the good questions. Love that. Well, thank you again. And thanks for all of you who are watching and joining us on the Plot Them Talks Wealth podcast. And hopefully we'll see you on our next episode. If you enjoyed today's podcast, Platinum Talks Wealth, please subscribe and share. For more information about Jennifer Rogers Markwell or Platinum Wealth Management, please visit www.platinumwealth.net. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member of FINRA and SIPC. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. The guest speakers and their companies are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial or Platinum Wealth Management. 